Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like-minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human-centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. Somebody with Tourette's, somebody with autism, or deep depression, anxiety, those kinds of areas of mental health are going to have higher levels of empathy Mm. or sense of emotion, elevated emotions, and they might be able to apply that really well within their research. Hello and welcome to This Is HCD. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a designer, educator and I'm the host of This Is HCD based in the wonderful city of Dublin, Ireland. Now, our goal here is to have conversations that inspire and help move the dial forward for organisations to become more human-centred in their approach to solving complex business and societal problems. Now, this episode that you're about to hear is with Felicia Araniti from SCAD University in Savannah, Georgia in the US. Now, Felicia connected with me several years ago when we ran the first Doing Design Festival and recently published a really cool visualization that caught my attention online titled Neurodiversity Within Human-Centered Design Practice. Now, I connected some of the dots between a conversation or an episode with Brigitte Metzler about how certain neurodiverse minds may be well suited or better suited to aspects of design. And it was a throwaway comment by me at the time, but Felicia has been researching in this space for a while now following her own diagnosis with ADHD. We discussed that in a little bit more detail as well. It's a really good episode, but before we jump in, if you like what we're doing here at This Is HCD, please help us out by leaving a review wherever you're listening to the podcast. It only takes a couple of minutes, but it really helps the findability of the podcast and helps share the word to other change makers around the world. Or you can go one better and by becoming a patron and you can get an ad-free stream of the podcast for as little as €1.66 per month. That's two cups of coffee in Dublin. And you also get a shout out as thanks on whatever podcast is coming up next. There are other plans where you can get exclusive items too. And literally all the money goes to editing, hosting and maintaining our website, which is now a repository for human-centered design goodness with over 220 episodes, folks. Anyway, let's jump straight into this episode. Felicia Araniti, I'm delighted to have you on the podcast. Um, Welcome to This Is 8 CD. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas. I currently reside in Savannah, Georgia, um, and I'm a current master's student here at the Savannah College of Art and Design studying service design. Right. Okay. So a shout out to Ricardo Martins, who actually had nothing Mm -hmm. to do with this introduction. This was some uh, an interaction between myself and yourself on LinkedIn. Um, And you're telling me it happened a couple of years ago. We were maybe chatting a little bit during the Doing Design Festival um, and it's great to to finally have you on the podcast, Felicia. But maybe you mentioned that you're doing a master's in service design, but the premise for this podcast and this specific episode was um, an image you created or an illustration you created about neurodiversity within human-centered design practices. And when I saw that, I thought this could have been um, a really fantastic conversation to have around neurodiversity within the fields. So maybe if you're okay to talk about it, um, what's your own journey and your own involvement with neurodiversity within your own life? Yeah, absolutely. So 
I was a bit of a, I, I kind of consider myself a late bloomer, but when you kind of look, look at statistics, um, women around my age, this is actually the time that a lot of women get diagnosed just because women and men tend to have different spectrums of, of when certain symptoms really come to light. And I, and I don't want to say, I say symptoms loosely, but um, I got diagnosed in November of 2021. And Okay. officially diagnosed with ADHD, uh, depression, anxiety, and then complex PTSD. Um, and then I recently have been uh, diagnosed with a uh, bipolar mania disorder. Um, up, right. up, I believe it was in August of 2022. Okay, so this is all relatively quite new in your life mm-hmm. in the last 12 months that um, these discoveries have been made. Um, what was, you know, maybe take, take me a bit on the journey of what led you to getting diagnosed. Um, and if you're okay to talk about any of those things, like what, what do the symptoms look like? Yeah, absolutely. So one of, one of the key things that I've started to learn across this journey is that you have to be vulnerable. You have to allow vulnerability to kind of seep in because that's when you get a lot of, a lot of meat. To the context, um, but also mm. you're not doing yourself any justice by leaving any details out. When I was younger, I, I really struggled in primary school. I really struggled when I was um, in kindergarten and you know those first years because I didn't adhere to the structure. I didn't understand why I needed to adhere to a structure. Right, follow the line, um, sit in your assigned seat. We have to do this this way. We have to do this at this time, and. You know, I really gave my my teachers a bit of a struggle. I remember my mom always telling me during the parent teacher conferences that I was like, "Hey, Felicia doesn't really, 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 you know, understand this. Maybe you could kind of help her at home." And you know, having two older siblings who, you know, I will say were neurotypical, and my mom didn't really have to struggle with these experiences mm-hmm. with them. Um, it was a bit of a challenge for her. So she would just say, yeah. well, just do what the teacher says, you know, kind of, you know, what's going on. And I just told my mom, I was like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't understand why I need to do this. So I was really, really stuck on the emphasis of why. And finally I started to just understand, okay, the person next to me is doing this. The teacher commends this kind of behavior. Um, this person is doing what the definition of successful is let me go ahead and adopt these person's traits as my own and then you know mimic and mask and then um, push forward and that process was very very successful for me I remember you know I quickly became you know really good a really good student you know my mom was was saying okay hey this is great you know keep doing what you're doing and so I adopted that until I I reached college and then by the time I, I started my first year in at the university at SCAD, um, that's when I literally started to have a little bit more of a challenge because now the ball was in my court. I had a little bit more sense of, of control with my life and what I wanted to do. And a lot of, of those teachers in those beginning art classes were very um, abstract with our projects. They would say, hey, this is the basis, you know, and then you kind of take it from there. And I kind of struggled a bit. And I was like, man, I that my whole life I've been kind of told what to do. And now I really get to kind of drive this and I'm struggling. And that's when I first took, I started to seek um, psychiatric help. I found my first therapist at the mm-hmm. age of 18. And here I grew up as somebody who 
didn't really think there was anything wrong with me per se. Um, and by the time, you know, I, I started taking, you know, talking to a therapist, they started to kind of really dig deep into my childhood and really try to understand, you know, why I am the way that I am. Why am I, you know, this kind of uh, neurotic person with these neurotic tendencies? And growing up, I remember I would tell my mom, mom, I just don't understand. And I would tell her, I was like, mom, I just don't think like A, B, C, right? I might think like mm -hmm. A, D, B, uh, C, X. And my mom was mm -hmm. like, okay, well, just keep keep doing what you're doing and keep doing what's, what's successful. And so I kind of had to kind of really compress and suppress these tendencies that I had because it wasn't what was accepted. And when yeah. I got to college, I'm like, okay, let's, let's dive deeper into this. Let's dive deeper into understanding um, why I feel the need to mask and, you know, where does that stem from? And that's where that journey yeah. started was, was back in, in 20, 2016. Okay. It's um, so you've been on this journey for about six years, effectively, mm -hmm. like you've been, you know, exploring and uh, delving into your past, which is always good. Um, in in my experience, I've I've done the same for for many years in in a similar time zone as well, um, or time period, should I say? So, going back to your childhood, um, mm -hmm. and the the bit that you mentioned there about structure and following structure and and mimicking is something that I've heard mm -hmm. quite a lot from my own peers who've gone through this journey. But where I'm interested to focus this conversation mm -hmm. is your journey as a designer and, and how you found design. It was that something mm -hmm. that happened just kind of organically or because the illustration that you, you created there shows that there's a, there's a, there's a real strength in neurodiversity mm -hmm. um, in, in regards to certain fields of design. Um, and I'm, I'm really interested to see how you landed into the world of design and mm -hmm. what parts of design really stimulate your brain and, and feel like this is this is where you don't have to follow structure so much. Um, mm -hmm. You don't have to mimic. You don't have to to play the role of the child, so to speak. Um, so maybe tell us a little bit more around that journey as well, if you can. Yeah, absolutely. So when I originally started applying for colleges, um, I have two older sisters who um, – at this point had already gone to school, graduated and were giving me a lot of advice. Right. Um, mm. one of my older sisters studied film and television at the university of Oklahoma. And then my other sister studied, um, business and engineering, um, over at the Texas A&M. And, you know, I was taking a bit more of a different route. I knew that I wanted to go to a school that was, um, creative and in the arts, but I didn't necessarily know what. So at the time I said, well, I'm really good at drawing and I love animation. I was really obsessed with Studio Ghibli films at the time. So I signed up, I went to SCAD for animation, took a class, did not like awesome. it. So I was a bit, I was a bit disheartened. I'm like, okay, well, I still have the opportunity. Let's, let me see what else is out there. At the time, my roommate was an architecture major and sh she struggled a lot with fine arts and she was like, well, Felicia, you're so, you're so good at it. You're so good at abstract thinking and applying yourself. And she would, I remember we'd stay up until like 3 a.m. Um, I'd be helping her with her projects once I finished my, my projects and be like, okay, cool. You know, this is something that works really well. This is something that you could do. I think your teacher would really like this. And she was really trying to pull me into that kind of, um, 
the school of building art. She's like, I think you would do really well in architecture or interior design. And I was like, okay, well, let me check it out. So started kind of looking and from architecture, I found interior. And then from interior, I found furniture design. And then I said, okay, well, furniture design is a branch of product design. So let me go ahead and do yeah. product design, which at SCAD is, is, is industrial design. Um, Switch my major took a class in industrial design, loved it. I had a professor mm -hmm. and the first thing that he said, he walked in, he said, okay, your, your assignment is to build a pair of shoes out of any material you want and it is due in two days. And he's like, if your shoes fall apart, oh, he said he's gonna have us run in up and down the hallway and if our shoes fall apart, we fail. And you know, <laughs> then he's like, all right, class dismissed, go ahead and start working. And we're all just like, what? And, you know, it was just like, you know, and at first it's really, really intimidating. But I remember coming back and saying, okay, what, what do I know to, what to do? What can I do? And that in itself is really stimulating, that kind of drive and sense of, you know, kind of just jumping into an abyss and don't really know what the outcome of it was really exciting. The further that I kind of got into my industrial design program, that's when I started to have a little bit more kickback by my professors. My professors would say, you know, hey, Felicia, you, you're doing really great on the concept. And I've seen you've worked a lot of time on understanding, you know, why users are going to use this product, um, you know, what gravitates towards them, X, Y, Z. He's like, but I'm not grading you on that. I'm grading you on the physical um, item itself. And right now your, your, your product is lacking. And I was just like, I know, but isn't the concept really great? And, you know, they would be like, it is, but you know, that's not what I'm grading you on. You know, if I'm asking you to make a tray or I want to see what your craftsmanship is like. So then I had a professor pull me aside during a one-on-one. -on -one and he was like, Felicia, I think you're 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 great, but I think you're in the wrong major. And of course, that's nothing any, any student wants to hear. So he said, yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and take you across the hall and introduce you to um a professor, and that's when he introduced me to my, uh, to Xenia at the time, and she okay. was the chair of service design um, back in 20, 2016. And I had that conversation with Xenia, and Xenia's like, "Well, you know, worst comes to worst, you take a class, you don't like it, it counts on as, as an elective, and you continue on your industrial design course." So then I took the class, and it, it tickled something different within me, and I didn't understand what that was until probably mm -hmm. earlier this year where I had, I was able to kind of let my walls down it. There was no more masking. There was no more uh, mimicking. It was bringing my true authentic self to the table. And that, and that was because I was adding that human element, that human perspective of, okay, if I do this this way, how can I apply my thought process into understanding why other people do this this way? Okay. And and that's really where I was like, nope, this is it. Called my mom and said, hey, mom, I'm, I know that you don't want to hear this, but I'm changing my major for the third time. Um, and I promise it's going to stay. And my mom's like, please do. <laughs> you, know, my, you know, at this time, I'm giving my mom a heart attack every time I'm saying, okay, I'm switching my major and I'm taking a couple extra classes. I might have to stay yeah. a little bit longer than the traditional four years. That's cool. I mean, like, it, it's great that you had the support from your family as well to be able to make that switch over to service design and do the masters over there in SCAD. But I guess I'm really interested to see um, why you feel a, a neurodivergent mm -hmm. mind and brain. Um, what is it about that brain that suits the intangible, so we say, 
in around mm-hmm. um, service design because a lot of the experiences that we design within service design are invisible and they have to be you know fixed or the sequencing and putting things in order and structure and so forth. How does that lend itself to be um, more kind of supported by a neurodivergent brain, do you think? I, I, I want to say, so going back to my diagnosis of ADHD, and mm. one, there's a stimulating factor that you have multiple outlets to kind of mm-hmm. get that stimulation, whether it's the person-to-person interaction, the synthesizing and analysis, right, or the actual prototyping phase, There's you're constantly doing something different. You're not always yeah. going to be doing the same thing. Every project's going to be different. And you have that safety net of being able to take a new approach and knowing there's some value in this. Regardless of which approach I take, there's no wrong but there is the, you have that safety net of saying, I could take it this way and I still did something impactful with my work. And so that sense of validation, one, lessens the amount of fear in an individual, allows them to bring their true authentic self and then kind of push forward with that narrative. And mm. I think one thing that resonated with me, having that kind of safety net built and having that kind of foundation built within my classes it really allowed me to kind of sprout in multiple different directions, right? The sun might be pointing mm-hmm. in one way, but I want to kind of explore this darkness. Let me see what's over here. That's not really being there. Um, and then there was the point of always touching onto the emotional element of users. Mm-hmm. And I think that wasn't always, that hasn't always been seen. So the opportunity for somebody to say, Hey, I'm experiencing something negative. And I want to touch into it. I want to explore deeper. And that for me was such a big eye opener because my whole life I was constantly told to reform, to kind of follow this um, A style or, you know, AB style learning and be this kind of person. So I was constantly told what to do. And then all of a sudden I have this opportunity to really jump in and say, hey, this is something negative. This is a negative experience and we want to make it better. So there was that kind of bit of like this, this hero concept or this hero journey going on, right? Saying, hey, I have experienced negative experiences in my life, but mm. I'm going to take that, all of that and kind of persevere, be this kind of phoenix rising out of the ashes and yeah. say, I want to make these experiences better for people. So I had that drive. I had that motivation. And I don't think I ever knew how to kind of apply it. And it wasn't until I got to service design. And it was like, wow, I can really make things better for people. And it probably Mm. wasn't until this year that I said, wow, I can really make these experiences better for people that are like me. Sure. And I was able to bridge those two together. It's it's interesting because um, when I'm hearing you speak, when you look back to um, your childhood and how you mimic the the system or the game, so to speak, of like mm-hmm. how to get ahead, what can result is an academically standard type person at the end of the mm-hmm. the conveyor belt, so to speak. So it, it's there seems to be a gap there in the academic system where we're not really supporting neurodivergent uh, people to succeed. We're not able to flex the the educational process to be more inclusive so that's something that we'll probably be all aware of um at some point we all have to conform to basically mm-hmm. to to perform and basically get a, a grade at the end of it that reflects on our 
intelligence, which mm-hmm. isn't entirely reflective of who we are as a person. Um, so it's really interesting to see where, you know, it, it looks like it's, it was your mm-hmm. friend that really guided you through that. It wasn't the academic process. It wasn't the educational mm-hmm. system in America. It was your friend that actually stepped in and was your signpost, so to speak, to architecture and then industrial design and then service design. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm going to just probably speak a little bit out of line here, but my experience with ADHD, mm-hmm. I'm not ADHD. Um, some of my friends have recently been diagnosed and growing up, it was almost like we would think of the the problem child of being uh, people who've got ADHD or the one who are, you know, they're kind of running around and they're they're not able to to sit still and they're they're able to just just kind of be a little bit more all over the place that's not nece- not necessarily true okay and that's my own learning and my own journey to get to this mm-hmm. point where i know some seriously successful people who are in adhd and i'm interested in the characteristics that you believe an adhd person has that lends themselves to a specific type of work um like work in service design you know being able to flick between the different zoom levels of of design mm-hmm. and reality and being hyper focused on those that attention and detail can you talk to me about your own experience in that and is that something that my perspective is it right or wrong mm. it's 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 a little bit of it's a little bit of i don't want to say it's a little bit of both i think it's it's unique with every every individual i think you are correct in the sense that there is the um that negative stigma associated with adhd and it's actually ADHD does vary from uh, male to female or, uh, well, I should just say it varies from persons, person to person. And with me, I was able to, one, be be very detail-oriented, was, was hyper-focused, was able to zoom in and understand um, processes, right? You know, all of a mm-hmm. sudden I hyperfixate on a line of ants outside and it leads me to a bigger can of worms, right? Now all of a sudden I'm following these ants. I'm like, okay, what are they taking? A bread? Okay, where did this bread come from? Okay, I'm seeing that there was somebody left some trash nearby and there was a bag of Fritos on the floor. Um, but then I'm like, okay, where are they taking it? Then I'm able to find the ant's nest. And, you know, all of a sudden I just spent an hour of my life dedicating to observation with these ants outside. Now, how can I apply that within service design? That was one thing that that I was like, oh, man, I would hyper focus on focus on something. And then, you know, it, it would take my peers to kind of take me a step back and be like, All right, Felicia, come on, come back to reality. And I think that's the really interesting nature is you start to see one thing and then you open an entire ecosystem of a bunch of other outlets. And so that's one element of ADHD. Another element is the ability to have multiple perspectives at once. And the way that I kind of see it is I'll be doing something, right? Writing an essay, typing up an email, and then all of a sudden I'm listening to something else, whether it's music, a podcast, I, I need something else stimulating me. So I constantly have to have that need to stimulate me, you know, um, visually, audibly, physically, right? The typing, the sensation of the keys, um, yeah. what the kind of clothes I'm wearing. And you, the more perspectives and layers that you kind of add into that, the minute that there's a disruption in one of those, you start to kind of immediately dive dive down and analyze. Okay, hey, my computer is twitching or the internet's you know going out. Then you're able to take a step back and say, okay, what's going on within my personal ecosystem 
how do I need to troubleshoot this and how can I kind of regain normalcy so I can continue yeah. producing work, whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, that same process and methodology can be applied when I'm doing my work, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm looking at multiple different perspectives. I'm almost playing a game of clue. I have something that stimulates me in this way, something else that stimulates me in this way, um, X, Y, Z. So when I'm conducting interviews, a lot of the time, even if it's face-to-face, I always let the stakeholder on the other end say, hey, I'm going to be taking notes and my notes aren't might not always be reflective of what you're saying, but it's so I can be stimulated in a way that I can remember what it, what it is that you're saying and then also kind mm-hmm. of um, synthesize it later on. And I always have to let them know because sometimes one of the factors about me is that I don't always make good eye contact. And so mm-hmm. it's because I have to have that additional line of stimulation when I'm having conversations, whether it's writing down notes so I can make sure that I'm actually focusing on what it is that they're doing or I'm visually being stimulated by my surroundings. And mm-hmm. so, you know, somebody might look at that and say, oh, well, this person's rude or this person's not paying attention. And it's quite the opposite. I actually had a conversation mm-hmm. with an individual who was talking to me. And at the same time, I was writing down some notes and he's and he goes and he says, you know, I really hate it when people say that they're going to listen, but then don't actually listen at all. And I and I stopped doing what I'm doing. And I look at him and I was like, what makes you think I wasn't listening? He's like, well, you weren't making eye contact with me. And I said, well, how do you know that, you know, by not making Mm -hmm. eye contact with you that I wasn't listening? And I had to explain to him and I said, well, I have ADHD. And one of the ways that I, that I enhance into whatever it is that the other individual is doing is by doing something else. So in one way, my mind's not racing so much. I'm kind of slowing down that Mm -hmm. thought process not creating so much of a tunnel vision, kind of divert all of that energy into doing another singular task so I can truly focus on what an individual is doing. And when I explained that to him, I said, well, this is X, Y, Z, what you said to me. And, you know, then I proposed a solution. What would make you feel comfortable? What would be an you know, the response that you would like me to say to make you feel heard? He was like, well, just giving me a response like, oh, yeah, or just kind of nodding your head. And I'm like, okay, I will do that. Mm-hmm. And I said, but now you, now we know how we can help each other. And he was like, well, yeah. thank you so much for that perspective because he's like, I would have never thought. And that was, you know, taking every yeah. every life experience and saying, okay, this person might think this way. Let me go ahead and make sure that I that nobody else feels that way or, you know, try my best to reduce reduce that. Um, and it's great that he had the strength to, to speak up because um, – too often in the workplace or in social situations, you just kind of make these assumptions that that person isn't listening and maybe come to some other conclusion. But so whoever it was, like it's sometimes it's important to speak up and, you know, try and define how you want to engage is, is what I'm hearing there. Um, but there's other things there that in, in your illustration that I found really interesting. Okay. And mm-hmm. it was, um, and I'm going to put the visualization up. I'll put a link to it in mm-hmm. um, in the show notes for the episode so people can click into it and see it and LinkedIn mm-hmm. and ask you a question if they want to build on it as well. And if you're okay, I might put it on the, the podcast page as well and, and yeah, this is HCD and, and link back as well just for other people who just find the podcast that way. Um, but there's so many different types of neurodivergent, um, divergency, so to speak. Uh, like dyspraxia, autism, Tourette's, uh, dyslexia and stuff. Um, and 
there's two things that I'm hearing here. Okay. One, it's really mm-hmm. important to have people who are neurodivergent in your, your kind of the people that you're researching with, mm-hmm. but it's also, it's really important to have people who are neurodivergent on your team just to, to help improve the processes and mm-hmm. be more, more inclusive. Um, you as a service designer, like, so we spoke about the designing for the intangible and the systems level thinking that's required. Um, in regards to other disciplines like research and stuff mm-hmm. where you have to see patterns amongst uh, large data sets and stuff, do you have any um, experience on what type of neurodivergent brain is best suited to those, um, that industry or that, that part of design? And yeah, so I'll probably speak on on what I've observed and also my own personal experiences. Yeah. Um, so when I was kind of putting this visual together, I was able to kind of get the information from Genius Within Us, um, which is an organization here within the United States. And they themselves had put together a really nice um, visual where mm-hmm. they categorize these different type of neurodivergent Um, silos and then really highlighted their strengths within it. So when I was putting together this, this visual, I was like, okay, I know what these people, what these um, individual strengths are who are diagnosed with these um, different conditions. How can I then reflect that within this uh, design thinking um, realm? And Mm -hmm. so my, my, I then took that information and then was able to kind of say, okay, somebody who Torrets might have difficulty typing or writing, but they have very keen observational skills. They have really, you know, because they've had to compromise in other areas, they're going to be able to um, formulate their thoughts and ideas a lot better than maybe somebody else with ADHD. Um, because there is a big spectrum factor that does play into everybody's diagnosis. Um, each individual might be a bit different. Um, but I think that's where this visual kind of really wants to play more on strengths than um, highlighting, okay, these are the pros or cons or, of an individual and saying, hey, you have these great strengths. Now put yourself and apply yourself and in, in where you feel comfortable or where you feel that you might have the most vitality in the industry. Um, and I and I was able to kind of also put it together with having conversations with other neurodivergent beings and saying, hey, where do you feel more comfortable throughout this entire process? So, you know, hmm. somebody with Tourette's, somebody with, with um, um, autism or deep, uh, you know, depression, anxiety, those kinds of areas of mental health. Uh, are going to have higher levels of of empathy mm-hmm. or um, sense of emotion, elevated emotions, and they might be able to apply that really well within their research. Um, and so they're probably going to be more centered with the so, beginning of the process. I, I know you're at the towards the middle of your journey in terms of getting your your masters. Mm-hmm. Um, have you any experience of how organizations? are set up to support neurodiversity um, because if we're, if we're only supporting a, a specific type of mm-hmm. neuro atypical, um, presumably there's a lot more work to be done in that space. Is that fair? 100%. And, and through my own personal experiences, I've had a lot of learning opportunities, but I've had a lot of opportunities where, hey, let me take my personal experiences, see if other people are kind of experiencing the same thing, and then see if we can actually develop a process or inform 
um, companies and individuals to kind of be a bit more inclusive. And that's one thing that I think I want to really dive deeper on within my, my thesis, because I've actually had um, experiences where the need to disclose that information is is necessary. For example, like that conversation with that, that individual that I had, um, mm. in order for them to understand my perspective and how I can better have a coherent relationship with that person, I had to disclose that element of myself. And I think within the United States, there is that negative stigma mm. of, okay, if you tell say too much or you say, oh, I have this, then you're limiting your abilities on what you can do. And I really want to challenge it and challenge and combat that stigma and say, Hey, no, it's not that we're limiting it saying, what can I, you know, help me help you. And in order for, uh, for me to help myself and excel, I have to disclose this to you. So you understand how I can gain vitality in this working environment. You know, there were times where, you know, I felt a bit embarrassed if somebody was coming up to me thinking that I wasn't doing my work simply because I had three different devices running at the same time, right? I have a podcast playing, I have a music playing, I have, you know, I'm doing one thing and somebody's going to say, man, this person's insane. How, how the heck are they listening? But, you know, I'm developing so much white noise so I can actually focus on the one thing that I want to focus on. Um, and to somebody who might be neurotypical, they might not understand that, but it works for me. And at the end of the day, I still produce the work that I want, the work that I'm proud of, and and you know, still produce the outcomes that that are needed for whatever it is that I'm applying myself to. Um, but there is that level of vulnerability and being able to disclose yourself within um, that working environment mm. for somebody else to say, okay, I know what this person's doing. I'm going to trust in their process, and then mm. um, maybe it's going to kind of open that perspective to me so I can then apply that within other situations as well. Well, Felicia, um, we're coming towards the end of the episode here Mm -hmm. and there's probably a whole, there's a whole world of conversations we could have off the back of this. And I've, I've bit my tongue in certain areas because, (laughs) you know, it it could be a 10 hour episode on neurodiversity within human centered design and just generally just within design. I mean, like there's, there's so much opportunity there to better support people um, and just to be more inclusive. But if people um, want to reach out to you, what's your preferred way to to re- for, for them to reach out to you? Absolutely. Um, they can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. One of the things that I recently did is I signed up to be a mentor on an ADP list. Um, so I'm hoping that our okay. application goes through. I recently did it about a week ago. Um, so once that gets okay. approved, I'll be posting that on LinkedIn. And so I'll have the opportunity to get connected with a bunch of other individuals and, you know, awesome. hopefully be able to give them advice and mentor them and, and give them that confidence that they need to have these conversations, whether it's with their employer, their professors, or even start these conversations at home. Um, and yeah. that's one of the biggest things that I, I want to push is like, hey, I'm going to be releasing information, but the value that is going to be taken out of the information is, is based on, on the person reading it, on the perspective of that individual. Um, okay. And hopefully somebody who is neurodivergent will be able to say, hey, somebody else is experiencing this and you know they're able to apply themselves and be successful. That gives me the confidence to be able to say, I can be successful too. Okay. Well, it, it's fantastic that you've put your hand up because it's always good to have people who are out there kind of on the journey as well for other people who are at the start of the journey to be able to connect with and ask questions and feel supported. That's how communities work and that's how networks are formed. So um, fantastic. I'll put a link to your 
linked in in the show notes um and the best to look with the the second part of your ma and scad you know i'm a big believer and a big lover of all the work that's uh, happening in scad there with ricardo and formerly with uh, Maurizio as well so mm-hmm. um keep up the great work and obviously when you you get to that point where you're finished and if we can help you share any more information or any more findings that you might have had in your journey please just loop back in we'll have another episode it was fantastic speaking to you thank you so much for giving me your honesty and your energy and getting up at a ridiculous o'clock to uh, to speak with me as well i really appreciate it no absolutely i greatly appreciate it thank you for having me on there you go folks i hope you enjoyed that episode and if you enjoyed it and want to listen to more why not visit thisishatecd.com where you can learn more about what we're up to and also explore our courses whilst you're there thanks again for listening Thank you.